Welcome to Culture at Work, the podcast that explores the keys to building and maintaining a strong corporate culture during these challenging times when so many are opting to work from home. Hear from experts in the fields of architecture, design, management, real estate, and more as we explore a wide range of approaches to unlocking the potential of your workspace and elevating your organization's culture. I'm your host, Tim Carroll, inviting you to join us as we dive into the challenges of bringing people back to the office and building a culture that inspires, motivates, and connects employees like never before. On today's podcast, we're excited to have Doug Ryan, Principal and Executive Vice President with Colliers in Nashville, Tennessee. As Executive Vice President in Office Brokerage, Doug provides landlord and tenant representation with a focus on serving clients as a trusted advisor, navigating the complexities of real estate transactions and bringing clarity to corporate leases. Doug holds a master's in urban planning from the University of Michigan and a bachelor's of science in architecture from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. This is going to be a great conversation. Let's get right to it. Hey, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. Hey, I wanted to get you on today's podcast because I really want to get some insight from the broker side on what's happening. And specifically in all of our markets, what what are we seeing in, in the markets in real estate relative to culture, among other things? So my first question for you today is, hey, look, I grew up in Nashville. I'm a born and bred in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, you have a long history here of uh, in this industry, and we've both seen this town change in Absolutely. big ways. Absolutely. Um, I know what those changes look like visually. You know, a whole lot more pedal taverns and 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 uh, <laughs> bachelorettes. But uh, what don't we see? What are the two or three things that you're seeing from your perspective? that's changing in, in a town that's, by anybody's de- definition, a booming city? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> uh, you know, it's tough because Nashville, I think, so much of the built environment is obvious to, to everybody who's uh, been here forever or has relocated here uh, relatively recently. I mean, even if you got here three or four years ago, you would notice the differences, the changes. Um, but one that's one thing that's maybe not talked about that is amazing to see for, for those of us that have been here a long time, that's kind of the, the development of the neighborhoods. Mm. Um, it used to be, you know, East Nashville was like the lone rebel, cool, hip place to that's be. Right. And uh, we've seen amazing new neighborhoods pop up in Germantown and Wedgwood. Houston and Edge Hill and Sylvan Park and the Nations and Charlotte Park, all of these things that yeah. maybe we didn't really even talk about. If I said to you 15 years ago, hey, we're over in uh, Charlotte Park, you'd be like, where is that? Yeah. You know, but yet the, these are all Davidson County neighborhoods. Of course, we know Brentwood and Cool Springs and Franklin, but uh, what we've seen those of us have been here a long time. It's these neighborhoods that have developed 
and become very livable, walkable, shopping, restaurants, uh, really kind of awesome little enclaves in the city that, you know, were there, were a part of the fabric, had history, but they weren't growing. Uh, people weren't investing there per se. And now that's that's totally changed. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, first of all, I saw recently a picture of Nashville 10 years ago and Nashville now, and it's unrecognizable. Yeah. But, you know, I lived in in New York for a number of years and in all neighborhoods. That's what brings the whole city together is these little neighborhoods. And so to hear that happen here when I got back and to hear all these little neighborhoods popping up, it really was awesome. It just really was exciting to see you know, just how livable, as you said, this city has become when I was a kid, nobody lived downtown. Nobody yeah. lived anywhere. Yeah. And it's the same thing on the office side, which you and I do, you know, day to day, um, you know, it started with Sobro, you know, out of the CBD South of Broadway that has turned into the Gulch, then the North Gulch. And now, um, you know, music row is seeing class A office midtown is seeing Class A office kind of happened between Vanderbilt and, uh, you know, what is the Gulch and North Gulch. So like projects like Broad West, um, you know, these things have been infill uh, in and around, and I call it the fringe. Um, and it's been really interesting. I would tell you that things that are may maybe not as discernible to the passerby, but, but Nashville companies who were previously in the CBD have kind of bounced to the fringe and inbound corporate relocations from other places have gone into the CBD. For example, um, Alliance Bernstone came from Manhattan, moved their headquarters. They wanted to be in the CBD right on Broadway. They wanted all that craziness in culture because they're used to population density. And so Alliance Bernstein comes downtown, three, four law firms that are in downtown bounce out to the fringe because they don't want to deal with the tourism and the nonstop construction. Why are people coming to Nashville? Um, I think it's quality of life and the quality of people. Um, you said the word culture. Uh, I think Nashville's culture almost, you know, both of us have lived uh, around the world, frankly, um, many cities in the U.S. And I lived in Europe for my last semester of architecture. And um, Nashville is unique. You get here and the people are friendly, helpful. Everybody seems to be in a good mood. And I've lived <laughs> in cities where that was not the case. Me too. And you feel it day to day. Yeah. And so when you come to visit and you take in music and it's very walkable, I mean, it's a joke. The downtown's eight blocks by eight blocks you know, and you, it's, it's hard to not come away with a sense of, and it's like, there's a real vibrancy there. People are friendly, even if it's tourists who are co-mingling with each other, not even necessarily Nashvillians, but they're co-mingling with each other. And, and that vibe has rubbed off on them and everybody's happy to be here and, and experience what Nashville has to offer. I'm sure no state tax has nothing to do with it either. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the great thing. It gets them, you know, if you're a corporate uh, C-suite and you're, and you're looking at, Hey, can we relocate from our area? You know, can we hire? Um, 
can we get the talent and recruit and retain in a city like that? But certainly, you know, the Southeast as a whole has benefited from uh, a migration inward during, especially during and since the pandemic. So that brings up an interesting question, I think, is do you get, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I want to peel back the onion a little bit on the question I'm sure you get a lot of is around that quality talent. And what is your answer to that? What has Nashville done to ensure that the um, working population is is trained, talented, you know, motivated? Yeah, so I don't remember exactly the number of people per day, but it's like 86 people yeah, moving to Nashville yeah. every day. Um, so just general immigration is great. Um, but I think that uh, former clients like Amazon and Oracle would tell you that uh, they expected hiring to be somewhat of a challenge. Um, and in each case, they, in, and I would put Alliance Bernstein in the same category, in each case, they outpaced their hiring. It became way easier to recruit people to Nashville than they ever expected. And then you can go all the way back to some of our first corporate relocations in Nissan, North America and Mars Pet Care. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early 2000s. Cool spring. Yeah, they, when they came, they expected they would lose half, half of their workforce and then have to hire uh, to recover that. And it was significantly better than that for both companies in terms of those transplants who wanted to leave California and come to Nashville. So they retain more people than they expected. And then recruiting the talent to uh, join the, uh, them in Nashville uh, has outpaced the, their expectations as well. Any consideration? So it sounds to me what you're saying is it's a lot of, hey, let's bring the talent in. New talents flooding the place yeah. every day. Any conversations around the homegrown talent, any conversations around, I mean, at one at one time, back when I gave tours around Nashville uh, in college, I gave the bus tours with the microphones. And stuff. But um, one of the statistics I remember was there were more universe, colleges and universities per capita in Nashville, second only to New York City. Is Is that any kind of conversation around the homegrown talent and the, the education here. Yeah, for sure. I'd never heard that statistic before a long that, time ago, that but... statement. Yeah. <laughs> but no question. Vanderbilt is a draw Yeah, and, uh, in MTSU, um, they're, they're pumping out something like 20,000 graduates a year. Um, and it used to be that something in the sixties percent would stay in Nashville. Um, but in the last 10, 15 years, it's been more like 75% yeah. stay. Um, and so for sure, you know, um, Amazon, PSU to kind of cultivate their, yeah. their uh, profile of graduate that they're looking for in logistics. And, uh, and so the same with Alliance Bernstein, they're, they're very active in and around the local universities trying to help, um, offer programs and, and mobility uh, into their company once you graduate. So I'm going to ask the 
question that I ask everybody, and that's there's one question I ask everybody, and that's at the towards the top. How would you define culture in the workplace? Uh, I would say that um, culture is kind of the the dark matter that happens between people in organizations. Um, you you can't always define it. You can encourage it and help it, or you can hinder it based on leadership. Um, I think trust is a big component of of culture. I think camaraderie is a component to culture, um, but it's very difficult to define. And uh, many of my clients are seeking to, uh, in this day and age, keep culture that they have built um, in culture, in, in terms of corporations, is is very relatable to brand. Um, but culture itself is, is is made up of of sort of the feeling that a, that a person gets either in an organization or as broadly as a city. I've heard somebody say once that culture is the personality of the mm-hmm. organization. Yeah, and you mentioned things like trust and uh, camaraderie. In your professional experience, in the job that you do, do you feel that's better fit and better able to happen in an office or can it be done virtually? I think it depends on the organization, but I would say broadly, it has to happen in person. And I think most of my clients are struggling with how to... uh, maintain or build further their culture, or in the case of, um, you know, Asurian, they were decentralized and they felt like they wanted to redefine their culture and they chose to build a headquarters and locate everybody together. Uh, and, and so culture can happen when you're together for sure. Um, you know, there are probably entrepreneurial segments of, of companies and maybe music industry where they can be a little more remote, but um, certainly when it comes to creative process, you got to be together. No doubt. It can work. There's no doubt it, it, you know, in certain circumstances. So we're definitely not absolutes. Uh, There are no absolutes as it relates (laughs) to this, but um, what are your clients looking for? When you have these conversations, because, you know, you you take them around to see locations, it gets personal. Sure. What are they saying to you that they want to do to ensure people want to come back to the office? And when they do, they see value in the office. So the focus is, you know, much more on amenity and recruit and retain is the goal. Right. So they're all competing for the same 6,500 graduates from Vanderbilt (laughs) every year. And and so they are focused on being able to recruit and retain. And you have to do that with, uh, you know, a discernible sense of of culture and an office space. And um, law firms are always the great example that we see waves in about every eight and a half, 10 years every one of those law firms will will redo their office or move locations and create the latest state of the art because they're they're competing for those graduates locally and and around the country who want to be here 
And so they're trying to outcompete each other, having the coolest, hippest space. Um, that's not every law firm, but but I've seen just since being here, um, one of my 16, 17 years going on uh, this market, I've seen two big waves of a total turnover in pretty much every law firm in town moving and upgrading their space. So uh, recruit and retain is the focus. And today, and how it differs from 10 or 15 years ago is that they're focused on amenities um, for their employees, like walkable, you know, so you don't have to get in your car. Um, we use a term in, in the business, commodity office. If you've heard that, it's um, picture Cool Springs, you know, mid-rise office building surrounded by a sea of parking that you have to get in your car and drive somewhere to get a sandwich, yeah. to grab a cup of coffee, um, maybe to work out or uh, like that to me, I think commodity office around the world is going to struggle. And uh, today, these fringe locations that have been developed, like these Gulch neighborhoods, for example, North Gulch, uh, Midtown, Music Row, you're getting not just uh, Class A office that are built in these locations, but you're getting retail and eating and dining and beverage, um, everything walkable. And, and then the whole piece of sustainability comes into play too. Corporations, you know, uh, trying to communicate their brand and their culture want to be sustainable because it's what the young kids, uh, what are we on? It's not Gen Z. It's like, it's not millennials. Well, I don't even know where we are, but whatever they're called they're you know, the environment's important to them. In tech. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's important. And, and so those are kind of the criteria of what they're looking for today. What are like back, back 10, 15 years ago, it was the Google office. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted the putting green and the, the ping pong table, ping pong table <laughs> and, you know, make sure you have a, a, a keg, a kegerator and all that stuff. So I think, one thing that came from that is everybody realized it's tough to maintain those things and like they just start getting beat up and or they stop getting used at all. And then it just probably is not the thing today, obviously post pandemic. What is? Yeah. What is the amenity inside the space, inside the building, inside the office that's encouraging and that your clients are looking to do? Well, offices are are looking more and more like hospitality spaces. Um if that makes sense, if you can picture, uh, you know, the coolest, hippest hotels in their lobbies, in their lounge areas, it's definitely skewing in that direction. Um, it's it's more communal space. It's um, there are places to touch down and do quiet work, um, but it's predominantly uh, loungy hospitality feeling is where everything is headed. Um, green space, outdoor space, access to the outdoors. Um, and those outdoor spaces are well amenitized, loungy feeling as well with Wi-Fi, uh, the ability to have a meeting on a balcony. Uh, we, there was a time when I started in the business here, um, there wasn't a single office building with a balcony. And now pretty much everything that's been built has had balconies or outdoor spaces incorporated. Some of them communal but some of them now even offering them per floor or even multiple per floor so that the tenant themselves could have their own balcony, for example. So we went from no balconies to balconies that were communal 
to now balconies that are available for their own specific suites. And of course, they now pay for those spaces uh, when they're exclusive. Yeah, I mean, it's, we talk about homing from work now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because post pandemic, I think one of the things that people really enjoyed is the choice and control, yep. which is what this industry, our industry, furniture, interiors industry has been about for many years, but choice and control of where and how you work. But it's making it feel more like home at the office where people can curl up on a couch with a blanket and get work done like they could when they were at home. Yeah. Or go take a walk sure. or go sit outside, you know, like they did in their back porch, you know, and, and we're able to work. So I, I see that same thing that yeah. people are wanting to do that across the country yeah, and not just in Nashville, but you know, in Denver and Orlando and St. Louis, and we're seeing it everywhere. That's the, the flexibility of a space and the choice of control and giving people the ability to, to lounge sure. at the office. Right. Yeah. Are you seeing that same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Without question. Okay. We're going to break away for just a quick message. And we'll be right back after this. At Working Spaces, we do much more than just sell furniture. We immerse ourselves in the culture of each and every client and then create spaces that inspire. Inspire creativity, inspire productivity, and inspire connectivity. So if you're looking to create an office space that inspires your employees to want to come back to the office, collaborate face-to-face, -face, and do their best work every day, contact Working Spaces. Working Spaces, the innovative leader in office furniture and design since 1999. Now in six markets nationwide. Welcome back to Culture at Work. So in your opinion, and look, I, I think by anybody's definition, you're an expert in, in your field. You, uh, one of, if not the top uh, brokers in the city, in a bustling, busy, crazy, busy city. Um, and you are on the front lines of the office. What workplace trends are you seeing that anybody listening can, you know, start thinking about? Because look, our audience is designers and other brokers and yeah. GCs. And, you know, what what trends are you seeing coming out of Nashville that could be have ripple effects for years to come? Uh, I would say for sure, you know, I don't know, what are we, 12 months out of the last wave of, of pandemic where before we weren't so sure how these were going to shake out all the different changes we were seeing. Um, but I would tell you today, pretty much everybody agrees that uh, not every worker is coming to the office five days a week. In fact, probably no one uh, will be five days a week in the office going forward. And so that's caused a huge um, question within the C-suite is as, as their leases renew or they're looking at quality of the space that they currently have versus uh, some of the newer space that's much more expensive, by the way, mm -hmm. um, they have to weigh this and say, okay, if our workforce is going to be here on average 
three days a week. How do we get them for four? And do we incentivize or do we penalize our employees who either choose to come in uh, more or less? And so because they want to have a discernible culture and a discernible brand. And frankly, it's hard to feel like you're, you know, running an organization that's living, breathing, healthy, growing uh, bottom line, if, if you're not seeing your, your employees. So uh, I think everybody would tell you that the five day work week is, is pretty much gone. What's Collier's doing for, for the people that work at Collier's <clears throat> to help in, uh, encourage embrace culture, uh, affect culture? What what are they doing? And secondary question, uh, you know, what are they doing to encourage people to come together yeah. and be in the office? So for sure, we've adapted and allowed our, our employees, our, our key folks who support the brokers on a day-to-day basis uh, to be flexible. So my assistant, um, you know, is in the office three days a week and works remotely two days a week. And, um, and it's interesting, I've had an opportunity to do this now for a better part of a year. And I really do feel like I'm not missing anything in terms of service to me. Um, you know, whether she is working at home or she's in the office, um, it really become it really has become okay. And we've all adjusted. And so that flexibility allows, you know, allows you to take the dog to the vet or go to a doctor's appointment that flexibility. Now, brokers ourselves, we've always been flexible. Sure, I mean, sure, sure. nobody's expected us to be Thank you. sales in general. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sales in general, we're moving and, and you're not in the office every day, uh, sitting in front of that computer screen. You're out, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, you're out on the sales cycle meeting and, and developing relationships so that you can do the next transaction. Do you miss that connection? Do you feel like anything's missed? I mean, just, you don't feel like what I what I heard from you is I don't feel like there's any productivity lost. Not in my. But case. do you feel there's any connection lost? Um, I'm not leading you in no, way. I'm just no, trying to no, really. That's a fair question. I just wonder because we see that in our office, and we do one day a week. Yeah. Uh, work from home. It's Wednesday. It's middle of the week. We let everybody kind of you know stay home and you make people do. come in on Mondays. Oh yeah. <laughs> Okay, I would tell you that eighty uh, percent of my clients, uh, you know, it's Monday or Friday. Yeah, that they're nobody's in the office, and so everyone's there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I think anyone living in the city would know that the commute is different on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday versus. So maybe you're doing them a favor by letting them off on one a very difficult commute day. There you go. There you go. I'm, 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 I'm just give it back. I'm just <laughs> thinking of all all angles. Um, no, we just, it's a great middle that we yeah. find, we've tried it all. We did shift where A group, B group came yeah. in and, they, mm-hmm. and, you know, we found that that was tough with different cultures being created. Um, we tried because we wanted to be able to advise Yeah. Um, three days a week, two days a week. You know, it just one day was good because of that connection. So that's the reason I ask is sure. we feel different when, when we're out of the office. Now, I, I don't know if everybody would agree with me, but um, a, a, a number of us, at least in the leadership, we feel differently, like the, the connection when we're not in the office. So we're not in the office, but three days a week, I, I think it would, I think we would lose something, I think. Yeah. I mean, every organization is 
uh, I would say, suffering with this very quickly sure. and finding that perfect balance for their workforce. Um, it's a point of this podcast. It is. Really, I mean, really talk about no, these issues. No question. And, you know, it's interesting if you if you back up on a macro level. So there's no doubt that Nashville office has slowed down in the last 24 months. In fact, it's probably been. I think people would be surprised to hear that. Yeah, no, Nashville's growth has been predominantly multifamily, uh, some hotel. That's, that's happening all everywhere. All of the industrial is industrial's on fire, has been on fire. I haven't heard the term multifamily more yeah. across the country in all of our markets than I have in the past six to eight months. Yeah, most of the cranes in in uh, that you see in the CBD and and going out toward Vanderbilt, most of those are multifamily and. Uh, you know, a, a few hotel, um, there's a couple office projects mixed in there, but those were, those were, you know, begun much earlier. Why, why is that happening for, for anybody listening that would want to ask that question? Why are there so many multifamily projects out there? Uh, you know, I'm not the multifamily expert, but I would tell you that the workforce wants to be in town. Yeah. These these youngsters, uh, you know, they don't they don't seem to care what the rental rate is either. They'll just move a couple of them in, in and they'll share the rent. Yeah, uh, it's very expensive uh, to live anywhere around downtown, but it doesn't seem to to factor in. And so, um, you know, we're becoming a more urban living crew now. Whether this wave of worker who wants to live downtown and they're in their twenties gets married and, and go and back migrates out. back out, I, you know, it remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I've read about these kind of push and pulls that have happened in cities, not like Nashville, because Nashville really didn't have a downtown. It's, this is a kind of a, still a new thing, uh, livable, but bigger cities that people did live downtown and they all migrated out. And then all the younger kids are now coming in or adults are now coming in and they'll probably migrate out again. And then you'll be stuck with a lot of. Did you know it was illegal to live in downtown uh, before 2001? I, I did not. Prohibition against residential units in the downtown. So that seems a late in history <laughs> to have that finally changed. It might be 2004. Somebody, somebody who listens to this podcast knows that, that, but it's, I'm talking like 2001, I believe is the year where that zoning was finally changed. Who was the driving force behind that? Zoning? I, you know, I, I, I don't know all of the people, but I know Tony Girantano. I was, was going to say Girantano. Yeah, he was very, <laughs> I, I can envision a, a, you know, reality where he was very much on the forefront of that sure. and his urban grocery you know, right there on Church Street were were the first projects. So thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's made the city better, right? No and, question. And we have other cities in our markets going through the same things, like Kansas City. I think Kansas City is going through a similar kind of kind of thing. They're, um, I, I think maybe a few years behind us, and then they're but they're rapidly catching up. They're having the same downtown revitalization. Yeah, kind of kind of thing where people are moving down there. A lot of multifamily. Um, it's a it's an interesting time down there as as well. Um, but back to the to what you all at Colliers are doing. Um, what do you feel is? Well, I'll, I'll 
go the positive route here. What do you think is the best thing you guys are doing as an organization to help drive culture? Well, so I've had the opportunity in my career to work for three of the big four brokerage companies. Um, I worked for Cushman and Wakefield first, uh, then CBRE, and now Collier's. I've never worked for JLL, but those are the big four. I, I think you're going to see, you know, the majority of those signs are, right. are going to be one of those four companies. Um, in all of our markets. Yeah, in, in every market worldwide. I mean, uh, it's it's pretty amazing. What's unique about Collier's and why I would say I'm I'm happiest in my current company um, is we're I don't know, more entrepreneurial. We're we're more freedom as an individual. Um, less corporate. Um, we're still adhering to amazing principles. We're still all working hard for our clients, um, but there seems to be. Uh, more flexibility. And I think today workers want that flexibility. And I mean, and who you are and how you approach business, not necessarily coming in on Tuesday or staying home on Wednesday. I mean, the flexibility to be who you are and, and find your niche within, you know, the work environment uh, and client set that, that appeals to you and, and who you uh, resonate with on the client side. This is probably an unfair question for you because I know your background and know that you were in our industry on the, sure. commercial, on the commercial interior side in the past. But taking that aside, setting that aside as a broker and your peers, is there value? Is there a value in, in your mind, the space? what can happen to the space, the, the design of the space when you're working with a client, is that a conversation? Is that important or is that secondary? It's definitely primary and it's maybe more important now than, than it ever has been. Um, but more so than my history in, in past in commercial interiors and in specifically commercial furniture, you know, my degree in architecture tells me that, you know, the built environment has the ability to evoke all kinds of emotion and, and all of those for positive and, and negative, whatever you're looking to exude, you can accomplish through the built environment. Do you think your peers feel the same way? I mean, maybe uniquely me because of my architecture background yeah. um, and then urban planning, but, um, you know, it's, I think they feel it with their clients. Their clients are are coming to them maybe more so than ever looking to them as the expert to say, look, we're struggling. We we need, we need, we need this new paradigm and we need you to help us do that. And so, you know, for pitches when the all of us are going up against each other uh and we're pitching uh clients business, uh, we're bringing the workplace interiors person with us as part of strategy because helping them remake um, their brand or their culture or to build upon it, or maybe it's in the case of Asherian, decentralized, come to centralized. Hellstream did the same thing. One of my clients um, were in, you know, different locations around the city, centralized down into North Gulch. So I think more than ever in whether a broker has, um, you know, architecture background, I think they're feeling it and are going to their resources within each of their companies to help them guide the client as to, to what the reality of the future is. 
maybe no better example of that is um, Amazon committed to 5,000 employees. They built the first tower, fully occupied the first tower. And then you may have read an article that says Amazon's pausing construction on tower two. Well, they didn't really pause construction on the exterior of the building. That continued. It wasn't topped out when the article came. They absolutely completed the building. Um, but they did go back to their architect and say, the world has changed since we built Tower 1. The reality is different. And so let's go back to the drawing board and really revisit the interiors to say what we're going to build on the interior needs to address our new paradigm. And they did that. I think it was a maybe a three-month pause while they did that. And now they're they're back to building out those floors and they have a whole new paradigm and it's it, that tower will look very, very different from the first one. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of companies that said that they were going to have a full work from home <clears throat> strategy that have reversed that now and said, hey, look, it's, it's, uh, it was a nice experiment, but we got to bring everybody back. Yeah. Are you seeing 100% some of that? Especially in the tech sector. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, in the industry, we joke, and, and I think it's been said on, you know, most of your monetary programs as well, but this recession is acutely focused on uh, the Patagonia Vest recession, they're calling it, which is the tech sector. The tech yeah. sector is being hit harder than anybody uh, right now. And you saw that in the Silicon Valley bank failure, um, you know, Northern and central California really hit and, and that affects Amazon and Oracle who's, who's coming and the spinoff, um, which is really where Nashville uh, in the growth in the future is going to be is in that spinoff of Oracle and Amazon, those jobs that are brought here um, because those two companies have located here. And lots of studies have been in, have been done on other uh, cities where they've located, and the spinoff can be determined and planned for. Um, but I saw it hand firsthand with Alliance Bernstein when they came from uh, Manhattan in the heart, and they occupied um, as we're coming out of uh, the pandemic. But they they had a bunch of spinoff in fintech, so I was actually signing office leases in the middle of the pandemic with one industry and that was fintech mm. so uh when this whatever this recession is um is done or we start to come out of it i think everyone expects that tech sector to come come in, in full force back to nashville we like to say that uh, culture requires pants <laughs> and apparently patagonia vests and patagonia vests we have to add that on there now <laughs> as well Hey, Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, uh, your expertise. It's just amazing and uh, your insights. And just thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today on uh, Culture at Work. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Thanks. for having me.